I'm going to be speaking to you out of Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. A woman was at home and uh, cleaning her house, and uh, the telephone rang. And in her rush to get to the telephone, she slipped on a throw rug and uh, reached instinctively for something to steady herself, and which happened to be the table that the telephone was on, which went over with a crash. And the uh, phone receiver flew off the phone and hit the dog in the head. <laughs> and the dog uh, howled and started barking loudly, and which startled her three-year-old who began to shriek in crying. And suddenly, involuntarily, it appears, a tirade of colorful language from a previous life came out. <laughs> And uh, she finally did get to the phone, and uh, in time to hear her husband's voice, I suppose thankfully, uh, saying this, well, no one said hello, but I'm positive I have the right number. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know that sometimes that's kind of the way uh, things are. That's how it is with many families. It kind of can be... Uh, stressful and marriage can be somewhat stressful and there are good days and there are bad days. So in this series that we're doing on Colossians, I've been uh, asked by Brian if I would uh, do verses 18 and 19, which goes like this. Thank you very much, Brian, wherever you are. <laughs> wives submit to their husbands. Who doesn't want to preach on that one? Uh, <laughs> wives submit to your husbands, it says as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and don't be uh, harsh against them or embittered against them. So that's the two verses that I am privileged to speak on and I know all of you are thrilled to be here to hear this. Well, slight bit of a false enthusiasm there. Well, let me tell you the context in which this is written so that it will help you actually understand why Paul's addressing these issues like this as it relates to family and as it relates to marriage and, and wives and husbands. Because in that particular culture, in Jewish and Greek culture, uh, everyday relationships much different than the way Paul's describing it needs to be in the book of Colossians because under Jewish and Greek law, the, a woman was actually property of the man, just like the goats and uh, sheep would be. She would just be sh chattel. She'd just be property. She basically didn't have uh, any uh, rights whatsoever. She was his sole possession. And the, the way it worked is actually a husband could divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever. And so if she burnt the stake all right, you're out of here. And it's, he, it really, that's simply, he could just basically divorce her for whatever reason he wanted to do. But his wife could never, she had no right, she couldn't initiate divorce for any reason whatsoever. That was the particular culture that they uh, were living in. Well, she, in Jewish law, she could divorce her husband if he got the disease of leprosy, but that would be kind of the only clause in uh, the whole deal. 
the other thing is, is that in this particular culture, women had to live pretty much in seclusion. They were not really allowed out in public uh, to, to be uh, out where, say, other men might see them or anything like that. So basically, they lived kind of a, a secluded life. And they, they didn't have, the husband had all the privileges and the wives had all the duties. Wouldn't you have liked to, some people say, well, I'd like to have lived back in the days when Jesus was. No, you wouldn't. Because <laughs> that's really the way it was. Now, here's the great liberator. Jesus came to set humanity free, and he certainly came to set women free. I guess you could say that Jesus was really the first liberator. And when he did that, he created this community of people called the church, like we're enjoying here, the family of God. And in that particular freedom that Christ comes to give to us, where he brings redemption and salvation to all equally, where he attests to the equal value of both men and women, he, he, he liberates you to enjoy all the privileges now, some people think, well, Christianity is, the, is, is a, an oppressive uh, religion to women, when in fact it's absolutely opposite because it's freeing to women to participate ministries and levels and, and the equal value of both men and women. It's kind of like when you read these scriptures suddenly, what does this mean? Like, it says, wives submit to your husbands as fitting the Lord, and husbands love your wives. Well, it depends on which side of the gender equation you are. You really like one of this, these verses. The other is, yeah, but you kind of like that. But just to go through this, and I think you're going to be really helped with this today, but in verse 18, it says, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And you have to understand this word submit and the context in which it's written, and what exactly is, is uh, the Apostle Paul saying to this. This word submit does not carry the connotation of superiority and inferiority. It's not like just a hierarchical thing, one's superior and one's inferior. I mean, th think about the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God, one, per one but three persons. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All co-equal. But the fact is, each member of the Godhead have different characteristics and different roles. They're all equal. And they're all God. But different characteristics, different attributes, different roles. And so Jesus, God the Son, submits to God the Father. Not as the one who's inferior, not as hierarchical, but it's more of a, a, a it's flat. It's a difference of roles, and, and maybe that kind of hopefully would help us to understand this a little bit. And the context that Paul's addressing this particular scripture, because I just told you what it was like in that day, is pretty tough for ladies. And so the context is, hey, I, Paul, I'm writing to you Colossae, in Colossians, Christian ladies, that, uh, that if you want your man to be a godly man, then empower him to lead. So what this verse really means, and I think it'll become clear in just a minute, the word submission here, what it really means is that a woman has unique power and ability to empower 
her husband to lead. It's not really talking about superior and inferior. It's not talking about a subservient uh, role at all. So Paul's teaching these ladies. He say, hey, Colossian ladies, Jesus has come to set you free. Now, we all know when, if you've been in bondage in a certain way and you've been liberated, the tendency is to go wild, go off the charts. And was Paul saying, hey, Christian ladies in Colossae, you've been set free. However, don't go off the charts. Don't use your liberty or freedom in such a way that you throw the home out of balance. I mean, one lady defined a perfect husband. Perfect husband is a man who cooperates with her efforts to improve him. <laughs> Paul saying, no, 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 no. So I thought this. The last thing that you need to hear is for a man to talk to you about women submitting. So I said to my wife, I said, hey, would you help me with this? And we didn't rehearse this. I kind of know what she's going to say now because of the first service, but it was, you know, I had no idea. Uh, we didn't script it. I said, I'm just going to ask you some questions, and you answer what you think. <laughs> so, Linda, let me ask you this. How do you respond or how do you address this issue of this particular scripture about submission and wives submit? Well, I think that submission is freeing. Uh, when I was first married, I was controlling because I was afraid that I was going to be taken advantage of. I wanted my way. I wanted him to fulfill my needs. And so I wasn't uh, very, I was submissive in my own way, manipulatively. <laughs> but I have came to a conclusion that this was God's mandate for me and that I could submit to John without fear because God had my back. And all the rules he, and, and things he puts in existence or this whole universe are for our good. And so they're not to demean us or to control us, but they're to set us free. And so, therefore, he put these words in the Bible for my freedom. And when I learned that I could trust him with my life and trust him through John, that he was able to get us both where he wanted us to be. And I think that um, so many times we, we try to control. And what submission is all about is not about control for either. What it's about is accountability and responsibility. My responsibility and my accountability is to God. And the more I learned to know God and the more I learned to trust him, the more I became responsible and accountable to him. And I feel like so many times we think we got to be accountable and responsible to our mate, but I, I felt like I was being accountable and responsible to John by fulfilling my will, not trying to take on his responsibility of making him the way he want, God wanted him to be, but allowing that to, up to God. Okay, well, we know that uh, very few men are perfect. There's a few. <laughs> but a, a man is to be the leader. Uh, it, it seems that uh, that's the way God has designed men are to lead. And uh, it's easy for men to abdicate or it's easy for men to... Um, 
somehow use things as uh, an excuse in the life and marriage to uh, not lead. So I'd like for you to uh, address this issue. What happens if a lady is married to a man he doesn't lead very well? Mm. <laughs> um, what really helped me in my life was Sarah and Abraham's uh, story. And I think we got to realize that stories are put in the Bible for our good and to help us know how to function in life. And uh, there were, came a time, because Sarah was so beautiful, that Abraham asked her to do something that uh, wasn't that truthful. Don't say you're my wife. Say you're my sister when we go into this place, because Pharaoh will, uh, the people there will find you very attractive, and Pharaoh will want you for his wife. And he will kill me if he knows you're my wife, so he can have you. So she went ahead and she lied for Abraham and told them that she was his sister. And then God took care of her. God protected her. And then later on in life, she was 100 years old. At that age, she was, she was 65 when it first happened. He did it again the second time. He didn't learn his lesson the first time. <laughs> and he asked her to lie again. So when she said she was his sister, the king took her again as his wife, but God protected her. He had a plan for her life. He had a plan for Abraham's life, and it was a together plan that they both would be part of the seed of Abraham, that, that they would produce Isaac together, not Isaac alone. The word came to both of them as a couple. And she trusted God. The scripture that really got me as a young woman was, "Your Sarah's daughters, if you are not frightened by any fear. And that's what keeps us from being willing to submit so often is that we're afraid. We're afraid we're going to be taken advantage of or hurt or uh, asked to or out of control. And um, it really helped me to relinquish my control and try to control things myself or even what John would do or ask me to do or not do. And so it gave me a great freedom to know that God had my back and he would take care of me no matter what he does. I was to submit to him as unto the Lord because I knew God had, had it all in control, and I didn't. Mm. Okay, well, one last question. Okay. So how would you uh, advise to encourage, for ladies to, to be able to encourage their, their men to actually lead? <clears throat> I mean, if, if submission is really about empowering a guy mm-hmm. to lead, mm-hmm. how gives us practical counsel. Okay. I can go back to my first action. As I began to understand what God was saying to me, I felt like because our finances were a bit out of control and I was the one handling the, fi- the checkbook. I wasn't handling the finances, but I was handling the checkbook. And John was quite easily spending the money. (laughs) He was raised in a different way than I was. I was raised very responsible with finances because my dad was a penny pincher. So I thought I was qualified to do this. But one day, uh, I felt so under pressure by our over the, uh, we were underwater in our finances. And I just felt crying out to God, what should I do? What's, you know? And um, I felt like God said to me, 
let John have the checkbook. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and so I went to him and I says, John, I felt like God says, you're the leader of the home. You should handle the finances and spend the money the way you think you should spend it. And at that point, I was in fear somewhat. At times, it would overwhelm me and I, because I could see decisions that he might make. And I finally had to come to a real peace of trusting God with this. And God was amazing. He had my back again. And he helped John become the man that he was wanting him to be. Uh, as long as we try to control and don't give the submission up to God and, and submit to him all of our life, not just part of our life, not just the areas we want to submit to him, but really trust him with every part of our life, he's trustworthy and he will take care of you. Thank you. Oh, and men, just in case, just a note. Even though Abraham didn't do it all right, and which we won't, none of us do. I don't get submission right all the time. I'm not perfect. I'm human, and men are not going to get it right every time. That's another thing, women. If you keep bringing up the past and the failures, they're not very uh, likely to want to take the leadership, so you have to let go and allow him to fail. But even if he does, like Abraham, God had his back too. He didn't condemn him. In fact, he says to the king, he says, go, at, go uh, give back Sarah to Abraham, and I will have him pray for you. So he not only had uh, Abraham's back, he still gave him the great respect of the man that he had made him to be. And also, much of uh, the king's wealth came to Abraham. Not that you should just go making mistakes on purpose. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Well, a few, few things here. It's, uh, since she used me as a personal example of, of, of one area of my life I needed to grow into leadership in, which was the financial area. This is how this affected me. When she gave me the checkbook, I, I knew her well enough to know how difficult that was. I also knew that I had uh, placed her under uh, a burden in a, that she didn't need to occupy. When she handed this to me, I really didn't want that responsibility. But the gracious way by which she presented it to me, and she said, look, I'm going to trust you here. Here, you do it. It empowered me. It actually motivated me and empowered me to grow into leadership in an area that I would have never grown had she not done that. So I had to learn how to manage finances. I had to learn all about money. I had to learn how to live within our means. Now the burden is on my shoulder and I had to learn how to lead in an area. Had she not submitted to me, she would not have empowered me to become the kind of man that I needed to become in the area of finance. And now, as a result of that, we are multi-billionaires. <laughs> so, God has designed that men lead, but by the same token... Because of the freedom and liberty he's given to women, they are empowered to enable him to lead. He can't lead without their empowerment. They actually 
need each other. And so Paul is saying to the ladies, he said, come on, submit to his leadership, be loyal to his leadership. You're not going to be the loser in that, just as Linda expressed, because God's sovereign plan and purpose, when we obey him, he, everything that begins to transpire ultimately will work out for our good. We actually release God in that way to be faithful to his promise to us as we are obedient to scripture. Give him your trust, ladies. Give him your respect. Let him know in the areas in which you admire him. Encourage him in the areas in which uh, he needs to grow. He needs a cheerleader on his side. And you're the one who's empowered to actually enable him to do that. And, and so if we could just understand that the word submission is not really talking about servient or inferior, but it's actually talking about the ability or power that a wife has within her means to empower her husband to grow into his areas of leadership that he will not grow in as long as she maintains control herself. The second thing that is said here, it has to do with uh, men. This is an admonition to men. Love your wives. She's a gift of God. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh or don't be embittered uh, against them. No place in Scripture does the Bible say, hey, men, this is your job. Make your wife submissive. In fact, there are portions of Scriptures that men can just forget about. Verse 18 is one they can forget about because that's directed to the ladies. What you, what you need to direct yourself, fellows, to is this. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives. So the directive is not, Husbands, make your wife submissive. The directive is, husbands, love your wives. Do that. And, and do not be harsh with them at all. Now, obviously it takes two to make a good marriage. But Paul expresses that it's really the role of the husband to lead the way in establishing a great marriage. And then Paul gives us some examples of how this all takes place. So he challenges men. Look, what if, what if you, your wife is not very kindly disposed to verse 18? And Paul says, here's the temptation then. The temptation is to not love your wife, but to be harsh or embittered toward them. And he's saying, don't do that. This is not how we carry the day. This is not how we win the day. And this means that a wife that is not uh, very submissive, that a certain amount of resentment can begin to transpire in the guy and a certain response of being harsh or embittered. Don't do that, he says. Instead, basically, love your wife. Now, loving your wife is not mystical. It's not like uh, some, uh, 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 something to explain that's not easy to comprehend. It's actually quite practical in many ways because Loving your wife has to do with denying yourself and giving yourself to the other person, along with activities that demonstrate that you are doing that. They're simple, actually. Be attentive when she talks to you. She's talking to you. You're going, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Then that's not loving your wife. It's really, really, really practical kind of stuff. 
It has to do with looking her in the eye, listening to what she has to say, and trying to understand her. It's actually loving your wife is expressing an interest in what she's interested in. I have to say some of her interests are not really high on my priority list, but she is. And so when she wants to talk to me about curtains, <laughs> a chair, colors, Now, frankly, that's not really high on my... If she wants to talk to me about the Cardinals, I'll... Yeah, okay, let's talk about the Cardinals. <laughs> but the point is, though, those things are not high on my interest less she is. And therefore, what's important to her ought to be important to me. Pay attention. Be interested in what she's interested in. That's what it means to love your wife. Tell her with your eyes that you love her. <laughs> See, I just communicated in a way that I cannot express, but she knows. And, and don't try to remake your wife. Accept her as she is. I mean, after all, you did. That's why you married her in the first place. Delight in her. And then show honor to her by including her in important decisions and trusting her opinions. I value her opinion. I'm declaring her worth to me. All of these little practical things of listening, paying attention, uh, turning off the television, putting away the cell phone with uh, ESPN on it, uh, put, uh, and, and focusing in on what she wants to talk to you about. All of these things are just practically ways that you're demonstrating your love uh, to her. Uh, otherwise, you create barriers. When you are disinterested, when, when you are not affectionate, when you seem to be disengaged from her, she knows that right off. And you create certain barriers that makes it really in, uh, impossible, actually, to communicate. And then that's the big issue. Communication goes down the tubes. I, I, I heard about a couple that uh, were having some problems. They hadn't communicated to each other for a couple of days, and they were uh, actually driving somewhere on, on, in an afternoon, and uh, the lady's husband looked over in a field and saw a couple of mules, and the uh, first thing he said to her after a couple of days of silence is, look, your relatives... And she said, yes, by marriage. <laughs> and then they went back to silence, of course. So it's just like, those things are really not very helpful. Loving her, brightening up uh, her day. It's simple. Praise her. I mean, it's, there's lots of things to find about your wife to praise her, and that's Again, that's how you love your wife. Protect her. She needs to know that you are concerned about her. Uh, value her opinion. Don't just, uh, value her opinion. Share your feelings with her. I think one of the reasons that Linda loved me 
is because uh, when we uh, first got acquainted with each other, I were just friends. I mean, I, I wasn't thinking about anything else that she just was a friend who would listen to me, and I was going through some difficult uh, things. Uh, and uh, I, so I expressed to her about those things and my feelings. And because I was really open with my feelings, she, I think that really assisted you in finding yourself extraordinarily attracted to me, even though I was incredibly <laughs> handsome anyway. But... <laughs> She thought, I think she's like, I can share my life with this guy. He's open and he shares his heart with me. But share your, your feelings with her. Uh, ex- accept her. Date her. Well, you know, just date her. I mean, it's, when we, just, we talk to each other all the time when we first begin to see each other. And uh, we'd go out on a date and then come home and call each other. And, and talk for another two or three hours. I don't know what we talked about. Sometimes we just breathed into the thing. <laughs> but <laughs> phones had cords back in those days. And, um, but date her. I love going on dates with her. As says, I love you. I want to be with you. Surprise her in a positive way, of course. <laughs> uh, notice her. Help her with the house. Do things without being asked to do them. Fix things without her having to mention it. Show public affection. Hold her hand. Put your arm around her. These are just, they say, they communicate. They say, I, I'm, I'm loving you. I, I, I care for you. Call when you're going to be late. Remember all of these important little things. They communicate to her, her value and your love. I mean, conversely, you, you go the opposite direction when you criticize her frequently. Uh, you don't pay attention to her or you refuse to do anything in the, out around the house or else she becomes like your third or fourth priority because your friends or your hobbies, uh, your, your personal interest becomes your first priority. Your work can become your first priority and she feels that, she senses that. Um, you can, some, one thing guys do that's not helpful is you, you, she tells you what's bothering you and you explain her hurt rather than just listening and empathizing with her. She doesn't want an explanation. She wants you to understand. But we build these barriers when we do that. You're never romantic or you're lazy. You see, you're not a boss, guys. You're a leader lover or a lover leader. That's what God's called us to be. Give grace to each other. That's so important. I, I was reading a, a book called One Way Love. It's not about marriage, but it had a little section on there about marriage because it's, it's a book on grace. It's written by a guy named Tulian uh, Tavichian. I think my name's bad, poor guy. 
If your parents' last name were Tavichian, why would you call your, your son Tulian? I don't know. <laughs> T, he's TT, I guess. Anyway, but I just want to read a little excerpt from his book. Uh, he says, a southern a novelist, Walker Percy, writes in his book, in, uh, Love in the Ruins, we love those who know the worst of us and don't turn their faces away. He said, yes, you and I both know that beneath our happiest moments and our closest relationships inevitably lies some instance of being loved in weakness or deserved judgment. A friend suspended judgment at a key moment. Your father was lenient when you wrecked the car. Your teacher gave you an extension, although she knew you were procrastinating. You said something insensitive to your spouse. Instead of retaliating... She kept quiet and didn't hold it against you the next day. One-way love is the essence of any lasting transformation that takes place in human experience. A person who is loved in their guilt and weakness blossoms. He says, every marriage is the union of two selfish people. Fighting their way, desperate to win. That's why an apology so often feels like we're betraying ourselves. We'd rather see a marriage fall apart than cede any ground in the War of Roses. The world tells us to stand up for ourselves, to stick to our guns. But the gospel frees us to lay down our arms. There is nothing at stake and therefore nothing to fear. Ultimately, our righteousness, which we are hell-bent on protecting in a marriage, has already been secured, and it's not our own. No more having to win. No more having to be right. No more fighting to secure love or to extract affection because everything I need and long for, I already possess in Christ I'm now free to do everything for you without requiring anything from you. The fire to love unconditionally comes only from being soaked in the fuel of being unconditionally loved. For marriage grounded in one-way love, there is always hope and always a way forward. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100% zero. That's what he's saying. It's it's a grace-centered marriage or relationship. Now, whenever you you work through a book of the Bible like this, and you you come to these verses 18 and 19, which has to do with marriage, and I think Rick took on parenting last week, I think about singles. Because many of you here in this church would be single. And so let me just say something to you singles, even though it's not really in this verse, but I think I'd like to. Uh, there's, God has called some people actually to single life, I believe. And, and married people need to understand that and not keep trying to match everybody up all the time. But the fact is, is, is a, a single person can really devote themselves with a lot, without huge amounts of complications to the grace and gifting that God's put in them, and they can serve more freely. And so, 
uh, I just want to say, find your grace and gifting and serve freely. You can serve couples. You can serve in the house of God. You can serve out in your community. And then I'd say something else to singles. You need to be really careful about uh, someone's sickness. And this is what I mean by that. It, it has to do with somehow uh, I'm going to find the right person and marry, and then I'll be happy. Then I'll be happy. If you're not happy now as a single, you're not going to be happy as a married person. Because you're visiting on another person the qualities of fulfillment and contentment that only God can give you. No one can possibly give that to you. Only God can give that to you. And you'll be disappointed because you'll have an expectation of a person giving you something you don't presently have as somehow fulfilling your life. And that's just the ingredients for disaster. Not all single people want to get married. I think most do, but not all do. And just to help us all as couples to understand that not all single men are irresponsible. Let's not categorize people in that way. And single people may understand some things about family life that we couples never really pick up on sometimes. You might be surprised. Jesus was fully... Uh, human, and lived a life as a single man. So I think we ought to honor that as well. Now, just, let me just say something else that might help you. Sometimes Christian singles uh, have drawn the conclusion that God has one special person in your life for your, for your mate. And so they're looking for the one special guy or gal. God has a guy for me, I know. I just haven't found him yet. <laughs> You're looking for the one special person. And then some people say, I think he got hit by a bus crossing the street. He? <laughs> I actually don't, uh, I think there are times when God does things like that, like a lot of things. But I actually think that that there, in the sphere of God, in the community of God, there are a lot of people that are good marital material. I mean, you can, I, I have friends whose spouses died and they married someone else. And they're happy. When one special guy died, well, there's another special guy. <laughs> and so just in, in, the, in, the, in the community of God, in that marital pool, I think there are actually many people, many Many, not just one, many who could be that one person in your life. It's just that after you're married, that's the one person. That's all. I, uh, hopefully that's helpful. Uh, there was a book put out by uh, uh, Bill McCartney. Now, he was a great college football coach, and his uh, book was called Sold Out. And he also was a guy who was, was the leader of something called Promise Keepers, which brought together tens of thousands of men and teach them how to be Christian men. Well, people really didn't know about Bill was actually, Bill was a mess, and his marriage was a mess. And I don't want to go into detail of all that had transpired. I, I like the book because his wife, Lindy, wrote several sections of the book, so you kind of get the balance of, 
of her opinion. And I'd like to read to you something out of this book as we kind of wrap up here today. In, in, the, in the fall of 1994, a guest speaker at uh, McCartney's home church uh, showed up and was speaking, and he pointedly made this statement. If you want to know about a man's character, then look into the face of his wife. Whatever he is invested in or withheld from her will be reflected in her countenance. He says, literally turning my face to my wife, McCartney saw in his wife, haunted empty eyes, his sinful neglect staring back at him, escorting my wounded wife out to the church parking lot, McCartney writes, I begin to pray about the timing of my resignation as football coach of the University of Colorado. Men, when people look into the eyes of your wife, what do they see? I say the same with husbands. When people look into the eyes of your husbands, what do they see? They see emptiness, dullness, despondency, emasculated men. When they look into the eyes of your wife, is there the spark of life and vitality? Or is there the emptiness of sinful neglect? I mean, the eyes do tell the story. God uh, has called us together as couples for our mutual freedom and empowerment and joy. And so when he says, wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord, that was the key of some of the things that Linda was saying. She says, really, it's a trust factor in God. Do I trust God? I submit in the Lord. Does God have my back? Will God preserve his plan and purpose in my life? Yeah, he will. When God says that, it's not to diminish in any way. It's to give the liberty and the foundation to empower your husband to actually become the leader he may not now be, but will be. And when God says to men, love your wives. Now let me help you with this word submit and love. They actually, they actually mean the same thing. In this practical context, for a woman to submit to her husband is to deal with her own need for preservation and control or selfishness. It's to lay down her life for her husband. And when God says to a man, love your wife, it is to deal with his own selfishness and to lay down his life for his wife. It actually is the same thing. It is saying, I invest myself in you. I invest myself in you. 
I deny myself for you. I deny myself for you. It's not about superiority, inferiority. It's not about that at all. It's about partnership. Coming together in, in a companionship and partnership way so that the two polarized people one begins to submit and one begins to love and they merge and they become one. There's no fulfillment like that. It's something about losing yourself in each other that becomes a statement and testimony of what Jesus has done for us. It becomes a grace-based relationship. Jesus Christ came and gave himself for us, unconditionally loving us, laying down his life on our behalf. When we didn't deserve any of it, we didn't deserve his love, we didn't deserve the price of redemption, we deserved nothing. We had nothing to actually give back. It was not 50-50, it was 100% zero. He became the epitome and the model of what is demonstrated in the exhortation to us. Wives submit, husbands love. And the result of the giving of his life, it's you. It's multiplied millions of people that have come to be redeemed and reconciled to God the Father. Can I just say, wives submit, Husbands love, same thing, laying down your life for each other. The result is abundant fruitfulness. That's the result. Polarize on both ends. The result is death.